welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, who have been doing this for <laughs> way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. All my elevens and sevens been coming up sixes and nines. But since I fell for you, baby, been coming on changing times. They're waiting over the rise. Just another roll of the dice. <laughs> yeah. Fancy. And that, of course, is our rock and roll DM, DM Dave. And Woo! I got to say, I don't recognize the song, but another roll of the dice does fit today. So what are you singing? Bruce Springsteen. Ah, what's the song? Yeah, the boss, baby. A uh, roll of the dice. It's actually off Human Touch, so it's one of those ones we've talked about before that kind of it went like under the radar, unfortunately, because like the whole Human Touch Lucky Town time was like whatever, man. Get back with the E Street, right? Um, <laughs> and there's some there's some there's some crap tunes in those era, but that that's a pretty this is a pretty baller tune, and it does fit. So there you go. It does. It absolutely does fit because today we're going to be answering a reader question about advantage and disadvantage. More, more, more specifically, when should you be giving advantage and disadvantage and what happens? Like, how does this impact the game? So now the listener in question is a new DM named Natalia. And Natalia, thank you very much for writing in. She says, I love your podcast. I'm a new DM with a bunch of fairly new players who decided to start a pretty complicated campaign, it turns out, out of the abyss. I gotta say, none of us have tried out of the abyss yet, so it does look like it's a bit of a uh, a, a bit of a complicated one. Tony would love it. Listening to yep. you guys discussing different aspects of the game and different approaches you take helps me massively, making me feel almost like a seasoned DM who has an opinion on most topics. All oh, the tithe has been paid. Thank you very much. Uh, we, we, bring it's back. so funny because we have opinions on all the topics too, even <laughs> if we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> If we don't have an opinion yet, just throw it out there. We'll make one. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) I feel very strongly about this. One thing I am currently pondering is how to use discretionary advantage and disadvantage in the best way. For example, I have an encounter coming up, which is going to be an ambush where the baddies will be attacking from the high ground. I've seen some people suggest that this should give an advantage. Some people think it shouldn't. And it is more about better ability to hide or climb up being some sort of check, becoming the advantage in itself, etc. The encounter is going to be very tough in itself as it's their mid-campaign boss fight. And so my gut feel overall is to go with a plus one for this instead, which I believe was used in earlier editions. So essentially saying that if you have the high ground, you have plus one, you have plus one to attack the, uh, the, the person lower than you. I'm also interested in the discretionary advantage more broadly, though. I played with a DM who used those very often in situations such as this NPC is friendly towards you, so you have an advantage, etc. Whereas I tend to do that more occasionally for stronger reasons and tend to adapt the DC of the check according to circumstances. I'm really interested in your views, though. It also goes on to apologize if we cover this, but we have not. We really haven't delved into advantage no. and disadvantage at all. And I think maybe you know a good place to start with this is just to kind of run down kind of the the mechanics and some of the math involved here. So uh, first of all, just to throw out there, generally advantage and disadvantage are considered a plus five or minus five swing. So keep in mind that when you give someone advantage or disadvantage, it's a statistically a pretty, a pretty influential bonus to give them. Uh, the second thing I wanted to point out is just in terms of the way D&D fits together, they're using plus and minus numbers for different things than advantage. So for example, in an attack situation, cover gives you, you know, half cover gives you, uh, gives you plus two to your armor class. So it makes it too harder to hit full cover gives you plus five to your armor class uh, or three quarters cover gives you plus five, I think making you much harder to hit. And then you can still have advantage and disadvantage on top of that. So these things are actually made to kind of matrix together where you can use your, your pluses and minuses are more reflective of things like cover, more things that are more situational, more more based on the terrain. And your advantage disadvantage sits in more like something's happened to give a play to give one of the characters an advantage or a disadvantage, so they get to roll two dice. So you can have full cover, but the person attacking you is rolling two dice, and that more or less offsets the full cover. So it kind of they get kind of mesh together gear-like to fit into the um, bounded accuracy. 
that 5e mm. is built on. So I just wanted to throw that out there. You, know, you always think of these things together, advantage, disadvantage, and the pluses and minuses. They're meant to work together, not necessarily, you know, they represent different things. So you're usually not thinking, do I give a plus one or do I give advantage? If it's kind of, I think, situate battlefield situational, it's probably a plus or a minus. If it's more, you know, good luck, bad luck, I tend to think it's more advantage, disadvantage. Um, and the other thing to throw out there is just to let you know, player characters have a lot of ways of getting advantage or disadvantage. Rogues, for example, tend to have advantage on every attack already. So for them, getting more advantage doesn't really help. So yeah, so that's how, I just wanted to throw that out there, just kind of to frame the discussion a little bit about what we're really talking about here. So what do you guys think? How do you approach discretionary advantage and disadvantage? Well, if we're still talking about the math, one of the kind of the quirky aspects of 5e really is primarily, and there are some cases where, you have, for example, cover, where you can change your armor class, but they handle a lot of things like it's either advantage, it's either straight up attack roll, advantage or disadvantage, and not a whole lot in the middle. And those swings are huge, and you can't give yourself double disadvantage. And you're like, well, why sure. would anybody want that? Well, what if I was example, for example, I was fighting underwater, not using a weapon that's good for fighting underwater because there are specific ones you can use underwater. And I was blinded. Now, if I was in darkness, I would still, yes, have to guess on where I'm making my attack. However, as far as my chance to attack to connect with that attack is unchanged, whether I can see mm. or not see. And that's kind of a point where I would consider as she is suggesting, and her uh, email was very well put together and thought out, uh, I would put, uh, you know, perhaps increase an armor class. And I know that's not super well accepted in the 5e community where they're like, yes, start fiddling with all the percentages. But what if, I don't know, I was hopping around on one foot during a sword duel. Okay, I have disadvantage. Now I have a bucket on my head. Now <laughs> what? Well, he's blinded. But still, if I know where he's in, this other guy is, then it doesn't really change. And it it, in the previous editions, you did have a little bit more concise ability to change the pluses as you needed to, but there was also a lot of DM guesstimation in there as well. And just to point out there, one of the reasons they went this way, as opposed to previous editions, especially 3, point, uh, 3 and 3.5, was 3 and 3.5 had, had gotten way out of control with the modifiers you had. So you'd be rolling a D20, and you'd be rolling a D20 on top of like a plus 35. So part of what their goal was to try to find was to try to find a system where you didn't just have this infinitely expanding number of bonuses or or, or negatives to what you were trying to do. And I, I kind of get that. On the other hand, infinitely expanding bonuses and negatives gives you infinite ability to kind of customize the situation. To grow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yes, first off, Tony would absolutely love Out of the Abyss because it's all under dark all the time to the point where that is the biggest complaint about yes. the adventure is that it's all <laughs> under dark all the time. So there we go. Of course, that fits right in with my whole spiel because I am right, I'm running two campaigns that were in perpetual twilight forever. So um, I will say in terms of advantage, disadvantage, I think that this is one of those uh, rules, uh, rule sets, mechanics that is going to stay now forever in every iteration of the game going forward, in every iteration of a lot of other systems going forward too, because you are going to find very few people uh, anywhere on the socials or anything that are saying that the advantage-disadvantage system isn't simple and elegant. It is a really, really great mechanic because it's quick. It's quick, it's easy, it makes it happen, the end. And just to, just to prove the point, we're also playing Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition. Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition also has the same mechanic. Yes. You roll the as 10 does, die twice and you pick the, high, the one you want. As does, because we are gearing up to run a playtest of the new Marvel multiverse role-playing game that they're just now starting to talk about release. They're using advantage-disadvantage. They call it edge and trouble, but it's just advantage-disadvantage. Advantage, so it's just showing you that it's a beautiful mechanic that works and exactly thorn with three 3.5 pathfinder the modifiers the math started to become ludicrous you're spending half yeah. the game doing calculations instead of playing so 
with you just that. wind up in this weird situation where you it's like 75 versus 85 and you roll with <laughs> d20 <laughs> it's you know, a like, 20 roll anyway <laughs> yeah let me get my calculator out here for a second right um but i would say i actually just recently funny enough uh with natalia's question in our frost maiden campaign we just had an encounter where i actually did a thing i had them uh, i handed out sheets they became the town guard and there was a whole Dwargar invasion trying to uh, rescue their leader that they had captured the, the session before and all this. At one point, they were taking high ground within the town hall. And I just started letting them roll with advantage because I hadn't thought about it prior to. They made a call in the game. So I said, roll it with advantage. Um, that's a group I'm not worried about. We'll come back and say, Wait a second. We had advantage this past six sessions ago. We had advantage on that. So what's happening with the continuity here? So that's a quick and easy way to do that. In terms of her question specifically, though, I would say it's fun, especially, Tony, what you were talking about, like underwater combat and you're using a different weapon and maybe I'm not proficient with it. And then, Thorne, what you were saying about how it kind of meshes together gear like with those types of encounters where you want to start playing with some of the mechanics with pluses and minuses, advantage, disadvantage, that's cool if you want to build an encounter to make it different, like AKA underwater combat. But advantage, disadvantage, I think is the most simple and excellent tool to use whenever you want to use at your discretion. Yeah, because it does, and, and I'm thinking about all the mechanical, uh, all the mechanical uh, implications here. So because you wind up in things like Tony was saying, so say you have Great Weapon Master, where that one gives you, uh, you take a disadvantage on the attack roll, but if you hit, you deal, or is that disadvantage? Or is that it's a, there's a penalty on that attack roll. You get a minus uh, five to get a plus 10 on your damage. You get a well, minus five on your attack roll, I think. There we go. That's that's exactly how this fits in, right? Because that is not disadvantage. No. So that can't be, so that doesn't get wiped away if you already have disadvantage. So that's kind of where they use pluses versus using disadvantage. Things where they're like, no, you got to take this penalty instead of taking disadvantage. Or in addition to taking disadvantage, they tend to use pluses and minuses. The other thing to throw out there is the interaction with Lucky, which is uh, one of the coolest or most broken feats in the game, depending on your point of view. <laughs> because Lucky does let you roll a third dice and then pick your pick you pick out of all the dice you rolled which one you want to use and it doesn't matter if you had advantage or disadvantage that still means you now have three dice to pick from <laughs> so you know there's there, there are some things that can turn disadvantage into advantage in the game or sometimes when it does make sense to maybe just okay i've already got disadvantage so why not risk getting another disadvantage well i've heard of even uh gms and dms who will do double or triple advantage or disadvantage and i'm just like oh my god like the nexus of the universe like i don't even know what's about to happen you know well when you're on three dice you got a really good chance to make it although i also know from my years of playing blood bowl which is a game where blood bowl is a game where you roll a bunch of d6s and the d6s have icons on them it'll have two of the same icon and then like four individual icons say mm -hmm. and i have certainly seen how you can roll six dice and not get a single one of those double icons yeah. Like, that's the thing is you can roll four dice and still fail. That is sort of the advantage of advantage and disadvantage over a straight positive or negative in that even if you're rolling a ton of dice, they can still all come up as once. I mean, I like the advantage disadvantage, disadvantage system for sure. However, some of the players who, uh, you know, I've gamed with over the years have pushed back against this, especially when they first came to 5e and said, what don't you like about it? Well, they can be said that this is overly simplistic. Like, what is this easy mode D&D? &D? And I mean, I get their point. But then I come back to that time. I was trying to explain my one buddy's girlfriend how to how to play a wizard. And it was like a 45 minute conversation that left <laughs> her absolutely like deer in the headlights. And all she knew is she had to learn spells and something about spell components in a book. Absolutely. And so I would say this goes back. We've come back to this all the time because we've all played multiple different editions uh, including when they started to get just stupid with the modifiers, just ludicrously stupid with the modifiers. And that is the problem. That is why this is such, if, you if you're not playing other systems and you're not, act I will caveat this, if you're not actively running games all the time, right? If you're one of these, oh yeah, I used to run games. I don't want to hear from you, right? I need to hear <laughs> from the people who are running games weekly, right? Because what you start to find is, 
all of those modifiers just start to create problems in terms of your flow, in terms of your story, in terms of everything, the enjoyment of the game for you as well as your players. And we've talked about that many times where you have this want to do different mechanics to make things a little more realistic, to make things more uh, act the way that they kind of would, you know, with weaponry, with shields, with defenses, all of this. And I get that. But when you start to go down that rabbit hole, which we all have, you find out why they start to pull back the throttle on that because it's never ending. It is a sinkhole that will take as much as you want to give it. I love speed factors. Speed factors. Actually, I did like speed factors, but we disagree on this. We disagree on this. I I do think my 14 speed factor. Here I come. I'll be here next Tuesday. On on the on the flip side with speed factors, is it really should be more focused on weapon reach than it is on weapon size, because the guy with the greatsword does get to hit before the guy with the dagger. On you know, you know, due to the fact that his greatsword hits before the dagger hits. But if I, you know, if if. We can talk more about those types of things if I stop seeing so many people complaining about how combat takes too long, how the players are unkillable, all of these kind of things. It's because you keep adding things to it, it's going to increase that time sink. I firmly reject the players are unkillable. Give me one session with them. We will change that. It's mind flares for everybody. Um, <laughs> I'm also in that boat. Actually, I wanted to come back to one of the things to, to, to the D&D 5e being baby mode for a second, because mm. where that does make some sense is in the sense that they tend to cap your choices. You know, you've only got so long a list of things to choose from when it comes to things like backgrounds and things like that. But they could be expanding that much further if they wanted to. When it comes to the actual mechanics of playing in the game, fifth edition is not baby mode at all. Being able to milk out your advantages and disadvantages and use your abilities to the to the to, to to the to the best effect, that is all just as hard as D and D ever was. Like there's nothing baby <laughs> mode about the tactics of five e. Just less tables drawn by Gary Gygax. That's yeah, all. Just yeah, less it, tables. There, there's there's fewer <laughs> tables, but there's still just as much tactical depth. Yeah. It just they haven't really flooded the field with like you know, 105 different feats you can add to your character. Yeah, oh. that's what they haven't done. And, you know, when you were a fighter and you leveled up, what happened? Your Thacko improved by one, you got hit points, and you're done. All right. Well, that was interesting, right? <laughs> we, we missed that. We yeah. missed it. We just attacked. What are you going to do? Am I use like a sly flourish? No, I'm going to attack. Every, and, every, like, four levels, you got an extra attack or something, right? Like six. I guess my question to uh, the person who wrote the, uh, the, the email in is, does she feel... Or to, rather, more importantly, does both her and or her audience feel that those current mechanics are lacking in some way detracting from the continuity of the game? Because if they are, then yes, please give them some tweaks. I think that's in your best interest. Try some house rules. See what you need to do. But if not, you're just like, mm, this isn't really I don't know how if I do that. And they're like, ah, it's fine. Maybe you let it ride. You know, and that's a good. We we really haven't directly answered her question. Again. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. We're warming up. We're warming up. We're, here. we're, we're yeah. twenty minutes in here, and we haven't actually gotten to an answer to the question we were asked. Um, I would say, like from my point of view, I if you want to get more tactical, giving someone advantage or like a plus one or plus two for high ground does make some sense. I would probably also put in things like the um, flanking rules as well. Uh, you know, things, things like that, things that let you maybe even put in facing in the game. There's a lot of rules for these sorts of things in the DMG where you actually already have it built in. And I think for high ground, you know, advantage does make some sense. Cause I mean, having, I, I know it's something we, we don't really kind of feel ourselves because how often are you fighting someone below you versus someone above you, but having you know high ground being like on the next set of steps up was definitely considered a big deal when you were like, you know, defending a castle or something. So Or killing Anakin. I mean, either right. way. Yeah. Right. I now have the high ground. Yeah. I mean, come on. Stop <laughs> already. Indefensible. No, I think that that's actually a great point, uh, Thor, because like you were explaining before, uh, you can, in essence, break advantage, disadvantage out into a plus or minus five because you're rolling a 20-sided die, right? Um, so with that, a lot of times, like we talk about like skill checks and things. I'm going to this will make sense in a second. But when we talk about skill checks, you're usually calling for skill checks, ac- 
active skill checks when there is some sort of constraint on it. It's a time constraint. They need to get it done like right now, those types of things. Because if they take their time, like, you know, if a, if a rogue takes their time, they can pick most locks out there. And that's kind of where it goes, okay, if you take your time, you'll be able to get through here. But if you need to do it because the goblins are chasing you down, that's a little different, getting your keys out of your purse to get in the in the apartment, right? Yeah. So in the same way, in a combat situation like that, and someone takes the high ground, and they are not currently being, let's say, targeted. They have the high ground, they're above the fray, and the enemy is now being, uh, you know, uh, they're engaged with your allies. Well, now you have time, right? You're, you're not going to be hitting them with your sword, right? You have time to draw the bow. You have time to aim. You have time to do a slow exhale to drop down. So that makes sense why you would have something like advantage to that. And I think that that's something outside of building the encounter specifically where you want to play with fun mechanics like pluses and minuses and weird terrain and stuff is the ability to they decide like I just did in the Frostmaiden campaign. They ran up the steps and said, I want to run up the steps and, and can I fire down on said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, give me it with advantage because. I was rewarding their ingenuity. They said, I, I'm going to use this terrain to my advantage. I want to jump on the chandelier, cut the rope and ride it up, you know, and then I want to try to shoot my bow down from there. Okay. You know, those types of things, advantage, disadvantage, lets you on the fly, quick, make that call, yeah. you know? To so feed off of uh, Dave's point there, really, truly, we could add enough rules into this game to that every sword swing is going to take 11 minutes to execute. Yes. And yeah, if we're already, there's already, okay, that's very true. There are people, myself sometimes included, complain that the combat takes too freaking long. It's not my fault. All my friends pull out their Pokemon middle battle and things just, <laughs> it, it just completely escalates in the wrong direction. The thing there is, I want to caution the manipulation of the system with a story. One of uh, my old school gamers was relatively low level there's maybe like third fourth we were playing back in the day 20 years ago in a campaign and we came across the bbeg and this dude was like walking outside a carriage so my buddy and ironically you'll recognize his character it was Lightfoot the halfling climbs up oh! in a tree and lord goes, foot yes lord foot before he was lord foot he was just ordinary late foot um started discussing with the dm how he could start getting things in his favor so he climbed he was a sniper he had a proficiency for that so that gave him like a plus one and then he for whatever reason with a bow that was like a special weapon so he got like another plus one and he had a high deck so he had several modifiers on that and then he had the infamous high ground which completely got blown out of proportion in earlier editions like that was just like you know i have an arrow knot and the high ground at all times i'm being pushed around on a ladder with wheels so I could kill Satan from the high ground. He could. Now, bear in mind, this guy was a half demon. He was super badass. He had an incredibly powerful magical sword. And he's like, OK, if I want to shoot him on the hand, what's my penalty to like destroy, to disarm him? He's like minus four. And he's like, great. I want to shoot him in the neck instead, because the area of his throat is just the same size as his hand. Then he got all those pluses and minuses to wash more or less. And he shot the bad guy to death while he sat there like an idiot gurgling in his own blood. <laughs> Which cinematically works, Makes right? perfect like sense. Sniper, right? But, yeah. This well, is a 15th level fighter, and he was a third level thief. And I'm like, well, hey, you got this. You don't need me, bro. All right. <laughs> so I think here we have found the Ur example of the D&D divorce lawyer. Just fighting for every possible advantage you could get. I feel bad saying that because I know this character. I know this is an exciting story among our gaming circles. But, man, it's just like, you know, assuming it's the way Tony told it, you know, and, and stories can change in the telling. So let's, yeah, let, let, let's, let's not forget that either. But, like, the whole, the, the whole thing of, okay, so negotiating advantages, negotiating pluses, starting with, okay, I'm going to shoot his hand. How much would that cost? Well, his neck's no bigger than his hand. How much to shoot him in the neck? You know, it's just, yeah, that is the rule. That is the rules divorce lawyer we have talked about in the past. The guy who just wants to argue every, the guy who argues everything in his favor until the DM winds up giving him what he wants. 
And, you know, in that continuity with how those pluses could have been applied, it actually more or less tracked. There was a lot of DM fiat at the time. Uh, his character was set up to do that kind of stuff. And if you're a DM and you're brief, you work on this philosophy and I have this, had this argument in the past, any given sword can kill any given person. So yes, hypothetically, a 15th level fighter could be whacked by a third level character. Just consider, is that what you want in your continuity? Well, and I think we have to talk about what was the fallout from this, which was nearly every big bad evil guy you met in the game now had at least 14 stone skins on him when you met him. In second no, edition no. stone skins, where you hit the stone skin and no damage was done, your attack was wasted. No, no. When he this character was defeated, that is when Skeletor took the field. So, oh, the adamantine a, skeleton. Yes, he was replaced by an adamantine lich using the previous guy's sword because he got <laughs> fired and he picked the sword up. Ironically, like he like you know used his key fob and it worked for him. And okay. then he then. This guy had been basically hazing me for 11 games is now dead. And they brought in somebody much more dangerous. So we've no actually had this story of Skeletor on this blog, on this podcast before. And Skeletor was a literally unkillable big, bad, evil guy who they had, who the, the, these, these guys had to deal with. who was very frustrating. And now we get the true secret origins of Skeletor. <laughs> PC shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> He'll do it every Every time. villain has an origin story, and it's usually PC shenanigans. I think he was a great villain to introduce when we were like level five. I mean, sure, why not? He was like, well, he was even he was even more powerful. He was probably like an 18th or 20th level fighter too. Well, you he killed the last fight. guy in one shot at level three, so yes, here comes the guy at level. Here comes your level five villain. He is he he's CR 85. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Tony, so like you had that right back uh back in the day. You still have it now though, that like, okay, well, this is my base modifier that I have, right? Like we have this even in 5e, right? You have your yeah. ability score, you have your modifier from that. You now have your proficiency bonus. Okay, so you add that onto it. All right, now I have maybe a certain feat, like Thorne was talking. Maybe I got sharpshooter, maybe I got great weapon master, whatever, something that gives me an additional plus. Now I have a magic weapon. That also gives me a plus. And maybe this thing, there's a ton of stuff, as Thorne pointed out very uh, succinctly, there's a ton of stuff in 5e that is not baby mode in terms of putting it all together, especially for people that haven't played the game for 30 years, okay? So with that said, you still have plenty of those. I can add all these things up, but they're already there, right? Most of those things are not, oh, let me also add this. Let me also, it's already baked into this is what my attack is. And now as we're running the game, you can quickly say, give it to me with disadvantage, give it to me with advantage, whatever it might be on the fly. And that's what Natalia is asking, kind of when do you do yeah. it on the fly, right? And unfortunately the real answer, which is, what the answer is going to be is what we what I was talking about back in our uh, I think probably our hundredth episode uh, recap, which was if you want to learn to paint bricks, you got to go paint a thousand bricks. So the way that you're going to learn when to do this and when not, like she had been playing with a previous DM who was maybe a little more experienced with it, and they seem to be giving out advantage and disadvantage pretty frequently. That's something that you kind of learn the flow of for your style. And it's very based on what's happening at the table right now, you know, and it's a way for you to turn the dial towards or against so that you don't bog yourself down. Like Tony was just saying with all of this, okay, well, I would like this. And then also I want this and this. Meanwhile, that's one turn. What's happening with the rest of the story that we're trying to to create together? There's no story. And I'll go back to what uh, Professor Dungeon Master talks about a lot, because he's got a lot of great advice about how do you speed up your game, you know? And he's one that talks a lot about advantage, disadvantage. Anything that slows your game up, you want to take a hard look at and say, do I need this? Is this really increasing the, the story and the enjoyment in playing a game, you know? So... That's a very fair point. Although, to be fair, Professor Dungeon Master takes it so, so, so kind of thin <laughs> that he cuts it down to just, okay, everything fits on a disc. 
on, on, on basically a lazy Susan yeah. tray. And you don't really have movement anymore. You just kind of go from long range to medium range to short range. Yeah. So so he's taking it very, very, very Maybe very he played with he's like the Picasso of Dungeon Mastering. <laughs> Maybe he played with some of our friends on a battle map and he's like, I'm done with this shit. It's fucking fed up with them. He's fucking fed up with them. Yeah. So as we've talked, I've been I've been mulling over this whole issue of high ground. I mean, just to kind of give like just a wrap up on that as far as like at least what my opinion would be. Mm-hmm. So the more we've talked about it, the more I wouldn't use advantage disadvantage to reflect high ground if I wanted to reflect it. And the reason is because you we want to save your advantage and disadvantage for other things that might that might be coming up. You know, for for other things that 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 the player might have advantage or disadvantage for. So I think I probably wouldn't use that mechanic on the high ground. What I would do. And just historically speaking, high grounds actually, it's both easier to strike down and harder to strike up. It's the big deal with high ground. So the attacks coming up are coming weaker and the attacks coming down are coming down harder. So I would just give a plus one to attack to the guy with high ground and a plus plus one to basically plus one to hit and plus one to AC to the person with high ground to, to reflect those two basic benefits. And that would probably that would probably be it. And uh, then you still have your full because what we've really been explaining, I think, is just how useful advantage and disadvantage is so you don't want to apply advantage and disadvantage to that situation because you're going to lose it for the rest of the battle and other things you might want to use it in not totally lose it but you know you you basically if if they get additional advantage it's useless so although of course the players could offset it with they're getting their own advantage so that's the other side of it but yeah i'd probably just go the plus one to attack and defense for the person who's who's, who's on the high ground so now to get to the other half of natalia's <laughs> question when do you use discretionary advantage and disadvantage? What kind of situations do you guys specifically tend to use them in? Well, if it's a situation where the normal rules kind of like raise some eyebrows, again, with the continuity of the table, then maybe it's something to talk about and go, okay, so Dave's taking a shot with a longbow. He's leaning over the ledge and perhaps he would get that bonus. As far as adding advantage in other situations that we're talking about, though, that it's not normally applied. Yeah, no, like, like because that's the second half of Natalia's question. There is, how do you, we, how do we use it as DMs? How do the three of us specifically in our games use discretionary advantage and disadvantage? When do you give it out? When do you give out advantage? When do you give out disadvantage? What kinds of things tend to trigger it for you? Very sparingly, if it's outside of the actual rule structure, because as Dave pointed out earlier. You're going to find out you, you you put that in a moment. We're like, yeah, that seems cool. He slipped on the soap and you guys all have advantage on him for this whole round. That could be enormously powerful and remembered. So they're like, oh, I'm carrying around a bucket of soapy water now because I want to get an advantage <laughs> on these cards. <laughs> Banana peels. Yeah. I throw the card out at him. Because especially if someone gets stunned or something like that, I mean, you will cut these this, that person to ribbons. So is it different for you outside of combat versus inside of combat? Because that answer is very specific to combat, right? Is it different when you're talking about other situations? We talked to actually she had hinted in this email, I believe, about like if perhaps a NPC was friendly. And that does make sense. If I am trying to persuade a better price out of someone, an NPC that I am clearly I have a track record of being friendly with dare I say. That is different than I am walking in Barovia. I woke up to the most unfriendly, dour, I'm not making eye contact merchant and I'm trying to negotiate the price of something, then that is a totally different animal. What about you, Dave? Absolutely. I mean, not to not to be too, uh, this is probably going to sound kind of jerky in a way, but it's not. It's just, it's in the word itself, right? Advantage, disadvantage. It's when a situation is, it, there's something in it that is makes it advantageous to you or disadvantageous to you, right? There's something that is occurring that's outside of the normal scope of things allows you to roll that second die. Uh, Obviously, there is a slate of abilities and powers and spells that will create that, as we see in our campaign, where, okay, well, I have advantage on this, but they have disadvantage on that. But these other two things, I'm, I'm helping as well, so I have advantage, but this person is also, so I have three advantages against two disadvantages, so, right, there's plenty, of, there's a slate of things that are going to already do that, and that's generally how we're utilizing it. So I'm not throwing out advantage, disadvantage uh, frequently during games. There's a whole games where I'm not throwing it out, uh, my own discretionary advantage ever, um, unless it's something that is 
very specifically, this seems advantageous. One, like I said, uh, as Tony said, if there's something that there's a track record in terms of your social encounters, absolutely. Why wouldn't there be, right? Uh, that's also a great way to, if you want more role play and more investment in relation building with NPCs, townsfolk, all these people, when that advantage turns into, yeah, give me that with a normal role, because last time they felt like you gypped them or there's rumors that are going around town and maybe all of a sudden you come back and now he's doing it at a disadvantage because, whoa, what the fuck happened, dude? Steve, I thought we were like, <laughs> I thought we were bros, right? So that's that's an easy way to, to help turn that dial in the same way. Um, or like in combat or something like that, if somebody comes up with something that I think is really uh, ingenious, is a really cool use of the terrain, I will utilize it because that's a very specific encounter, right? It's not like we're going to run into that same encounter the next time, as opposed to like when I instituted the flanking rules in uh, Slaver's Bay. And then I was like, I probably shouldn't have done that because everyone went, oh, if we flank them and we have six people, so we could probably do that all the time. Advantage, 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 you know. <laughs> flanking <laughs> so. got way out of hand. Yeah, it was pretty like rough. that was like, oh, I want to get in position. And that sounds great. But like every battle map scenario was. Well, yeah, it makes complete sense. And then you it realize does. when you're it, running the game, it doesn't anymore. Actually, I'd say flanking advantage actually doesn't make complete sense in any kind of major, major melee, because what you get is these stupid daisy chains where instead of two sides facing off against each other, like in a line where they're protect where they're protecting themselves and their allies. Instead, you wind up with one bad guy, one good guy, one bad guy, one good guy, one bad guy, one good guy. And it's like, they just chain together in a way that would never. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, if, I'm talking it wasn't more, full advantage. It was I'm talking game. more in, in <laughs> sense of, I, uh, for me, it always made it, it sense for that. You have that one villain and you have two people fighting them on either side one of them is going to have advantage to that because he can't protect his flank. You know, it's just, yeah. that's the, the nature of it. But yeah, when they, when you start to turn it into a gaming mode and you bowl this, like, you know, just diagonals across the board, that that's where it becomes. Ludicrous. I mean, cause, cause what it really should do is you should get a better advantage. The flank. Okay. Two on one flanking. Yeah. That should be an advantage. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I, I agree with that. Once you start getting okay, but this guy comes up and flanks the other guys, so now they don't have advantage. But this guy comes up and flanks my him, so now I have advantage again. What would really happen is those guys would form lines, so they're protecting each other. So, the, but the game, like if you wanted to play with flanking, the game should really have a mechanic of line building where you don't get an advantage unless someone around gets to the flank of the other guy's line. Yeah. Because that's what happens in real combat. You actually have lines keep stretching out to keep from getting flanked. Because what happens in real in a real in like a real battle is that corner that that basically eventually you get to the end of the line and the and the the team that has one extra unit can wrap around the end of the other guy's line and now that that unit's getting two on one they get crushed and then they just wipe it all the way right. down it just kind of collapses the entire line exactly. um, but we've never had that <laughs> it doesn't work that way on a, yeah on a battle board I think. It, it could, honestly. I don't think it'd be that hard to put together. It's just no one's ever really tried to try to approach that for D&D, I don't think. You know what I mean? Is it really any harder than putting together the daisy chain flanking rules? <laughs> so me, for advantage and disadvantage, I tend to, this may be a do as I say, not as I do thing, because there's a way I want to think about it. And now, as we're talking about this, I'm going over in my head, do I really do this enough in my game? So you know, kind of, I haven't really broken this down as much outside of this conversation as I wish I had. I want to be able to give advantage for two things. Number one, there's a unique situation that is not reflected in other modifiers. So yeah, that comes down to like Dave was saying, if you have like a unique terrain advantage that the PCs are using in an interesting way or something that is unique to that battlefield that someone's taking advantage of, yeah, then I think that's a great spot to use advantage, disadvantage. Still would use it relatively sparingly. Like I wouldn't necessarily put those opportunities in every battle, but when they have one and they have a good idea of how to use it, yeah, it's a good spot to use advantage, disadvantage. The second way I would like to use it is to reward good PC ideas. And that's one of those things where, you know, do I do that often enough? I could probably do a little bit more because, you know, we've said many times you teach players how to play your game. And one of the ways you teach them how to play your game is by rewarding the stuff that you want to see more of. So if you have a player who comes up with an interesting way to approach a conversation 
or they come up with a way to butter up the person they need to negotiate with before they have the negotiation, that's a great spot to use advantage. If you have a person in combat who sees something no one else sees and they come up with this interesting off the wall plan, like they want to jump off, like they want to kind of run up a wall and jump behind someone and stab them. Well, there's going to be an acrobatics check to see if they succeed in doing this, but if they do, that could be just, that could be advantage. So, you know, I like to reward that kind of creative play and that kind of thinking, not just with your character sheet, but thinking more creatively as the player, as the character you're playing. And when people do that, I think that's a good time to apply to give them advantage as well. So, yeah, I would keep that in mind. It's 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 for unique situations that aren't that aren't reflected in other benefits and other bonuses that they're getting. And to me, it's for basically rewarding. Yes, that's the way I want you to play my game. You get advantage here. Of course, DM inspiration is another good way to do that. But players get DM inspiration, and hold on to it, and you can't give them a second one. Although, to be honest with you, out of the three of us, I believe both Dave and Tony will let you stack DM inspirations, and I won't. By the book, yeah. you don't get to stack them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I let I let people stack them because for me, like, also like just to round out this point in a way as well, because I think uh, with Natalia, she said like she's you know she's still a little newer to DMing. Um, so this type of thing seems more game breaking and you always hear about how, oh, my God, it broke my game, you know, or this character build or this rule or whatever. And there definitely are things. Don't get me wrong. You'll find them. For me, what I found that one die roll, it will affect dramatically a battle. Possibly it could dramatically affect an interaction. Right. It's not going to it's not going to affect the entirety of the game. Right. Not if not if it's built out in 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 any kind of way that's that that I guess it should be. Right. It's that one die roll. And that's why I don't mind like when you guys stack DM inspirations, because, okay, cool. I I can reward you with something that is, oh, here you go. Here's a whole nother die roll that you get to use. And people will remember they have DM inspiration. They're not going to remember Bardic fucking inspirations to save their fucking life. But a DM inspiration, they will remember. Right. And that one die roll isn't necessarily going to break my my encounter or my game, but it can definitely make them feel like, oh, man, we we really got something here. Thank yeah. God I got that inspiration or, oh, wow, thank God we had that advantage roll. Right. Because that could be the thing that turns the tide. One of the things that stands out there and it ties into what Dave was just saying, you don't give away advantage or disadvantage in a situation where people would expect to get it again when they do that again. That is not the point to discretionary advantage, disadvantage. It isn't setting a precedent. So if someone says, hey, I got disadvantage last time I did that, or I got advantage last time I did that, why don't I get it this time? Because I didn't feel like giving it to you this time. <laughs> why? Be, be, because the last time was interesting. The last time it was creative and interesting, and now it's just kind of trying to milk it. You don't get it this time. Um, so that kind of thing, I think, applies here. And, you know, just to kind of add to it, I didn't. none of us really talked about when you give away disadvantage. When the players do something stupid, that's a good time for disadvantage. Yeah, like especially like, like they didn't bring like any like good snacks or anything, and you're like, <laughs> what bad the decision, bro? my friend? Hey, disadvantage. I don't know. You must obviously have a cold this time. I, I guess uh, Roderick has a cold now. There's a disadvantage for everything. The DM's playing. The DM's paying for his own pizza. That's a disadvantage. Well, that's that, that's that's a battling. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna tell you. I never bribed a DM with food. I'm not gonna say that never happened. This was many years ago, but that did happen. Well, if the DM is bribable, the DM is bribable. But still, I mean, just there's other ways the the PCs can be stupid too. They can do something that, you know, they can try to intimidate. Say they try to intimidate someone who's tougher than they are. And fail that intimidate role. Now they try to charm them. Well, that's a disadvantage on the charm, right? You shouldn't have tried the intimidate. You aren't as tough as you think you are. Now you have disadvantage on whatever you need to convince them to do. You know, things like that are good places to apply disadvantage to also, again, teach players how to play your game. Teach players that, okay, here's kind of, you know, you can't count on always being the toughest one in the situation, especially at low levels, whereas at higher levels, maybe you can. You know, you always have the player who comes out at first level and wants to start intimidating, you know, experienced fighters around the town. And it's like, you're not there yet. No, no, absolute truth. In terms of disadvantage, though, it's a, it's exactly the opposite of when we would give discretionary advantage. So we've had it in the games where we'll try to, we've kind of gotten ourselves into the thick of something. Or we're like, you know, I remember when you guys 
actively had walked into the frost belt, right? The lair of the frost giants that we had on the plane of air in the Curse of Strahd campaign. And had, you know, snuck in, uh, gone through a secret door, killed the frost giant uh, security guard that was standing there, right? Pretty handily. People ran out and you guys were like, hey, can we just talk real quick? And it was like, fuck you. No, you can't. <laughs> now, I let you make, you know, I let you make like a, a persuasion role or, a, or you know, whatever. But it was at disadvantage, right? If you're yeah. trying, if I walk into a party of my friends, I'm rolling everything with advantage. If I walk into a new party or some bar that I've never been in or in some of the towns around here that I walk into a bar, I'm rolling everything at like double disadvantage, right? So like those are, <laughs> those are exact times, right? If if it is disadvantageous, if the, the, the situation is wrong socially and they're trying things that they shouldn't be trying or they're overreaching, that's absolutely dis that, that's a paddling. You know, that's disadvantage. You know, combat wise, if things are, if, if the terrain is not working in their favor, that can be disadvantageous, you know. So in the same way, it's just, it's one of those things that you can throw out every now and then for a certain situation that occurs and you want to make it different. You want to make it seem like this is something special just happened. That could be something special good or something special bad. But it, it helps you to kind of put a, a little bit of a light on that situation. And I think it helps with the, the storytelling and the narrative as well. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> All right. So we've been going on about the advantage and disadvantage for a little while. What do you guys think for your final thoughts on how you use discretionary advantage and disadvantage? Again, I think we kind of all agree on that we would do this rather sparingly unless it really makes sense in terms of the story. Now, the person who wrote the letter in is running a complex piece of licensed material, and there's a, and as all of us know who's do, who've done something similar to this, there are so many moving parts with this, you can't even shake a stick at it. With that said, with this change of the rules that you're prescribing or looking to consider doing, add, would that build up what you're, what is going on in terms of your mechanics? If it would, if you think your your table would be warm to it or feel like it's a little lacking, then you know what, go for it. Go a little mild. Don't do anything you're gonna be locked in for life on because you know, like I said, like you know, banana peels. And next thing you know, guys in your party are going to the supermarket first thing every game and buying 400 bushels of bananas because you don't want to be stuck with that one. <laughs> no, that doesn't want to be your legacy. Yeah, so, I mean, we went over a lot of what, where we would give advantage and disadvantage within the game. I will say, to Natalia's point, and this will be kind of my final thought in this way, uh, just from my overall understanding of Out of the Abyss, kind of what the, the general adventure is and where you are, because it's all under dark, you know, it's very much the drow cities and stuff, which is super cool. And like I said, I think it's right up Tony's alley, so maybe one day he'll run it. <laughs> just throwing it out there. That is a perfect time. So combat-wise, you're talking about the high ground. Like Thorin had said, you can absolutely do a more like a cover thing. So you get like a plus one and some AC boost because you have the high ground. You know, you're the Obi-Wan in this situation. Uh, that's cool. You can use advantage-disadvantage too. Uh, you know, I would say to Thorin's point, doing a mechanic specifically, if you're going to have a lot of things that are on high ground – I would say make it a mechanic. Don't use advantage-disadvantage necessarily because it makes it less special. In terms of social encounters, most of the PCs are going to be running at a disadvantage with social encounters for the majority of that adventure. They are in the underdark. They are dealing with the drow. They are dealing with uh, communities that don't want them there uh, and feel as though they are superior to them, probably. So maybe if they meet up some of the Sferf Neblin, you know, the deep gnomes, uh, they can maybe get a, uh, an a advantageous uh, relationship with them. But, yeah, I would say most of your uh, most of your default for social encounters for the first part of that adventure should be mostly a disadvantage, especially since spoilers here. Uh, you do start out of the abyss as uh imprisoned you are slaves for the drown you have to escape into the underdark so you know that's that's, that's disadvantageous hey enough. that's like, that's like dark sun yeah it's no I, sun. yeah it's kind of no dark sun <laughs> under the ground right it's very cold dark chasm dark sun yeah forget under the sea 
no sun, less sand, but otherwise, same deal. And for me, so so my final thoughts on using advantage and disadvantage. Now, I want to go back to something we said earlier. Advantage and disadvantage is a really elegant mechanic. I love having the ability. It's a great thing they added to 5th edition and that many other games are picking up as well. I just think it's, it's a really easy way to throw out there, hey, you have literally advantage or disadvantage in the situation. It's a good rule. As far as when do I apply it, like I said, I tend to try to use all the rules to, to try to help show my players how, I, how to play my games, you know, to, so, so they understand, you know, what pays off, what doesn't pay off. That doesn't mean that I'm railroading them at all. In fact, I'm hoping they'll surprise me. You know, I, I want to be surprised. But when I'm surprised in a way that makes sense in the world, then I tend to give the advantage. When I'm, when I'm surprised in a way where I'm like, well, that really isn't what we were trying to, what, that really isn't the situation you're in, well, then maybe that's disadvantage. But that tends to be how I use those things. You know, one to, to, to you know, basically reflect advantage and disadvantage that's not already in, in, in the modifiers we have going. And that's an important point because if it's already in the modifiers, don't don't hit it again. It's already accounted for. And two, to basically reward and punish ideas that fit that that are good or bad in that world or situation that we're playing in. And what the whole point for that is that, well, one, it's 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 an immediate kind of uh, immediate feedback, and should accurately reflect what goes on in that world. And two. Well, you know, so it's, it's it, it gets me and the players on the same page as far as what's going to work and what's not going to work there, because at the end of the day, they control the characters. I control the world and I need a way to show them how that how my world works so they understand what is a good idea and bad idea. So. All right, guys, I hope that was an advantageous discussion for uh, for Natalia there. Natalia, I hope that we helped you help helped you think this through and helped you find uh, a little a little perspective on how to use discretionary advantage and disadvantage. Yeah. Is it just me or did like we, all three of us have like disadvantage on saying advantage, disadvantage? Like it's a fucking tongue twister, man. It is a tongue twister. It is not. Ele- OK, the one thing not elegant about it is the language. I'll say that. Like name wise, it's elegant because it describes what you have. But like wording wise. Yeah, that's why I feel like with the Marvel one, they got edge and trouble. It's like if they're two completely different, you know. That is, a, that is a good one. That's definitely a good one. So, Natalia, thank you again for sending in this question. And for all of you listening at home, if you have a question you'd like to hear us answer, please send it in. You can do that on our website, threewisedms.com, uh, using the What's Your Problem field. You can just email it to us at threewisedms at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're active in all those places, and we're always looking for new stuff to talk about. As far as the content, hopefully you like what we're doing here. And if you do, please hit that five-star rating button on your podcast platform. Let people know you like it. Share it. All that stuff helps us grow. We really appreciate the support you've shown us. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Three Wise DMs.